Okie doke, so... Does anyone have anything? Ramiro, yes. A very easy one. <laughs> <laughs> A very easy one. <laughs> Can you just remind me of the difference you established between grading and cleaning? Yeah, thank you. So, can just recap... Um, talked somewhere or other and, and, and made a differentiation, a delineation between what we're calling craving and clinging. Uh, so, um, in a way I'm making this up, you, you know, I, I, uh, I, I wish I was better at making words or whatever. So, it's not necessarily the, the same as the distinction that you might be already familiar with. Yeah. So, uh, clinging... All, both are kind of, uh, manifestations of desire, the kinds of desire, okay, along with eros. So you've got three kinds, eros, craving, clinging, at least. Um, clinging, I'm just really referring to, is, is a quite, in a way, generic term, but really what I want to say is that it has a huge range to it. So I really mean any movement of body or mind um, t towards or away from some anything okay so that any any time we try and push something away from us now that could be really like the mind is just get it away from me I hate this or very very subtle like, there's no thought involved it's just a, a kind of micro energetic inclination of mind to push something away or to pull something towards us or pull ourselves towards a thing so any kind of push pull of the, if we say of the consciousness, something like that, um, is, is called clinging. And it has a huge, huge range. So you know when you're really in the grip of, of something, uh, really, you know, your whole mind is kind of rebelling or obsessed with that thing and the thinking is going round and round. Um, that's a kind of, uh, you know, intense, strong, gross version of clinging, yeah, gross end of the spectrum. Down at the subtle end, you're really talking about micro-movements of push-pull. Sometimes there's no thinking involved. How do I know it? I see some kind of contraction in the being. Um, it might be in the, very subtly in the energy body, and it might be uh, just actually in the, in the space of the mind, the sense of the awareness, kind of contracting a little bit. At the really subtle end, clinging is involved in any perception, not not every uh, not, not everyone in the dharma would agree with that but it's my that's how i would present it as an understanding that actually to to experience anything in the world there's some kind of clinging the mind kind of look, there's ramiro and my mind is doing this basically and that a little bit um, and that's a kind of you see the grasping movement just just to have you in my attention for a, for a moment so any experience in or out of there's some kind of subtle degree of clinging and we talk about, so that's a very subtle level of clean, just that's involved in any perception. Wrapped up in that, and also at the very subtle end, are things like, um, here, here I'm sitting, there's the sensation in the arm, sensation in the backside. Without thinking, the, the default, um, wrapped up in the default experience of that, these are my sensations. Of course, they're not your sensations. They're not uh, Jill's sensations. So we have this, appropriation in regard to any sensations as me or mine. 
And then we have even subtler, just the idea that it exists independently of the way of looking. It has inherent existence. That's avijja, the subtlest level of clinging. So all that is, is clinging. Yeah? So it's really um, uh, desire. Eros is a kind of clinging, in fact. And, um, and, and craving as well. Okay? Really the distinction is between craving and Eros. So, so the distinction I would make is, or one of the distinctions I would make, because probably quite a lot involved, is we just recognize that craving tends towards contraction. There's a contraction in the being, and there's a reification of something or other. So the view is contracted. It's a real thing that I want. Real me can get a real thing, or wants to get a real thing, or wants to push a real thing away. And with that, the, the, the being basically contracts in all kinds of ways. And this we can feel is palpable. So there's a kind of solidity and stuckness, reification, concretization, and dukkha involved. Whereas eros, which, which wasn't in your question, tends to open things out. It will, because it gets involved in the soul-making dynamic, what we call this eros-psychologos business, it will, um, it will tend towards opening, opening things out, opening the being, opening the... Um, the, the perception, opening the sense of things. Do you understand? Is that, does that? Yep, okay. Yeah. No, I just wanted you to stand. Oh, no, okay. okay, yeah. Um, it's the road to which uh, craving and eros is, are the extremes. You, you could look at it that way, yeah. Very nice, yeah. So, um, you know, if we tie this in with emptiness teachings, you could say, You could say something like, all perception involves fabrication. Perception is fabricated. I mean, experience is fabricated. Um, clinging is part of what fabricates experience. Some degree of clinging is on that spectrum. Now, we can fabricate in a way that we call papancha. Do you guys know this word, papancha? Problematic, crazy, uh, you know, all that. That's fabrication in a kind of crazy-making, dukkha-making way. Eros and soul-making is a kind of fabrication, let's say in a poetic way, in a magical way, in a beautiful way, in a soul-making way. They're both fabrication, as you put it, yeah, very nice. They're kind of, it's kind of like that, um, if you like. Does that make sense? Yeah, very good. Yeah. Uh, you, you go, yeah. Um, if I may follow up on this question, you know, I was wondering about um, cleaning, is that really an unwholesome factor? Because... So, um, so Yuka's asking, is clinging what, classified as an unwholesome factor? In your, in in my in my view. Yeah, um, yeah, there there will be. So I think um, actually I just done, done some other talks and 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 I spent a long while on, on just this. Yeah. So, but but to address it, so is clinging an unwholesome factor? Um, in probably. I don't know if most or not, but certainly some, and probably the ones that you're familiar with, the traditions, it, it will be regarded as an unwholesome factor. It's wrapped up in the whole cycle of dependent origination leading to suffering. Something it really interesting happened with, the, with the, uh, the emergence of the Mahayana tradition, because peop- if, if there's this understanding that you need to, there needs to be clinging for perception to arise, then the question is, 
how does it work for a Buddha? How does it work for an Arahant? And not only that, what kind of a Buddha is he who's just going to die and leave everyone suffering and not be able to be reborn back into the world of perception? So you could say, you could explain the Mahayana tradition from what I'm not saying this is the way to do it, but you could say that's part of what they were trying to answer. How, how does it all work? What is, what is a Buddha? How do, you know, in relation to this understanding of dependent arising fabrication of perception. Um, I don't particularly buy those kind of reductive historical models, but you could. Um, and then out of that came all this complex Mahayana philosophy, which is either horrific or beautiful to you, depending on your opinion. But, um, so in my view, is, is what you asked, um, no, clinging is not unwholesome. Clinging is empty and can be used skillfully or not, beautifully or not, in the service of um, compassion, in the service of soul-making or not, etc. So it's part of it's part of existence. It's part of what it... Existence involves clinging. And um, that's part of what we dance with. It's like, you know, we had this image of fire. And, and it's a double-edged, double-edged sword fire. It's a, you know, you can get burnt by fire. So it's like, but fire gives us so much. You know, so it's, some, it's something like that. Um, then we have to kind of open up the understanding of, whoa, what are we doing with the Dharma here? Because uh, I thought we were supposed to try and live without clinging somehow, as if I don't really think that's possible. Um, nor is it probably, <coughs> I imagine, what anyone in this room, well, I won't say that, but um, the, it, I would just ask, maybe I should ask it as a question, if you envisage a life really free of clinging, what is that? What does it look like? And uh, is it is it what the being really wants? Um, we can get back to that. But how does that sound? It's okay. Yeah. In the same way, I was just asking myself: Is it possible that to transform um, craving as something which yeah. is useful? You know, in the tension, maybe. Yeah. Yeah, so Natalie's asking, in a similar way, is it possible to, to transform craving um, to, to something more useful? Um, yeah, and Sampo, Sampo here somewhere? Ah, there you are. <laughs> You're hiding behind your hair. <laughs> um, yes, absolutely. Um, tr- you know, not necessarily easy all the time, but as you begin to discern more the difference, you, you, uh, eros can slip into craving without us sometimes even realizing what's happened, you know, craving can be transformed into eros, into something more open, more more beautiful, more, more poetry-making, more soul-making. Um, you know, the big art is how, and, and, and that, as we said to some people yesterday, one, one um, factor, one factor, I'd say two, actually, for now, one is um, getting the energy body involved. So there is this contraction that happens with craving. And if I here I am with this thing, whatever it is that I'm craving, if I um, begin to involve my whole body in the perception of that thing, it's a bit strange angles here, but it's like I can... Um, <coughs> I can... One can see with one's whole body, or, or let's say bring the whole energy body in, involved in, in the relationship, in, in the 
interact. That usually means opening it out from something that's a little bit more contracted. Do, do you see what I mean? So that that's everything in that's involved in soul making is involved together. So you think, oh, it's a hopeless tangle in trying to understand things. But actually, there's a there's a gift in that because it means you can wiggle any one bit and the other bits start jiggling. Do you understand? So, for instance, because energy body tends to open and harm, you can play with that and it tends to um, open the soul making. So that's one thing. Another thing is um, realism, concretization or not. So craving involves a real thing. I think this thing is real. I usually think I'm real, etc. In a real world, in real time, all the rest of it. So sometimes what can happen is just... Um, some way of of loosening uh, that liquefying that that reality perception, yeah. Um, and this can happen in many many ways. One is through a little bit of emptiness stuff. Another is actually by going, letting going more into the imaginal. So with this thing, it's like you could say part of the problem with craving is that things have not gotten imaginal enough. Yeah, which is completely the opposite of what we've been taught and what we tend to think. It's like because I'm, the thing has no dimensionality. I just want that thing. I have no dimensionality. It's all it's all so flat and so real and narrow. So it's almost like meditating more on whatever this thing is, and it could be anything at all, and letting it be uh, more imaginal, like letting it have its imaginal dimensions. Then. Um, then the eros has something to move into, and then it can do this eros psychologically. It can expand, and that transforms the whole thing. Does it make sense? Mm-hmm. So there's there's different ways with this real, not real kind of. Um, but so there's two things for now. But but I go back to this general principle that everything in soul making, everything involved in soul making is it's almost like they're just facets of the same thing. So we think this and that, and there's all these pieces, whatever maybe. But really, you start. You can have so many different ways in that kind of catalyze the process and, and support it. Yeah. So we don't. There can be a lot of creativity and everything's connected there. Does that make sense? Mm-hmm. Yeah. Um, could a helpful question, for example, if I feel some craving is happening, could a helpful question be, what does it mean to me, or what what, what sense does it have, or what does it talk, or how yeah. does it talk? To yeah, absolutely. Yeah. Yeah. And again, it's a bit like Lynn. <laughs> so Natalie was asking. Some of her reminded me that. Um, no, you've thrown me. What was she asking? Um, um, is 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 a way when it, when I feel some craving is a way to loosen it up and help it perhaps move in the direction of soul making is one way asking myself what what meaning does this have for me what what was the other phrase you used um, um, what sense, what sense of it, it yeah yeah absolutely so what, again, what is it what is soul looking for yeah very good okay very good so what what does it mean to me what what sense do I have of it what is soul looking for so um, what I would add to that is similar to Linda's question yesterday, um, is ca- it might be that one answer to that ignites something, and that's all you need. Um, it might be that one answer is too boxed in. So there's a kind of openness and uh, in, in the asking. 
that I, I won't get to the I won't get some final I've wrapped up I understand that now. I put that down to this, and this is what it is. Sometimes that will work, but sometimes you have to have more of an openness. Connected with that sense of allowing openness is what I would call humility and reverence, these words that I was talking about. Like, and when you ask the last question, which, what is soul wanting here, or, or, or looking for, or whatever, then listen, listen to that question. It puts the agency, if you like, almost outside you, or bigger than you, yeah? You didn't say, my soul. You didn't say, what am I? It's like, I mean, you could language it like that, but there's a, there's a sense of something bigger that I'm receptive to, that I'm humble in, 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 uh, in relationship to. Do, do you understand? That attitude is also part of soul-making. That's an aspect of soul-making. So again, you're, you're kind of igniting one piece there, and the whole thing start, can start to shift. Yeah, Absolutely. Um, yes, beautiful. Yeah, okay. Good. <laughs> um, yeah, there's someone back there. What's your name, by the way? Thomas. Thomas, Thomas yeah. Um, potentially somewhat nuanced, complex question, potentially not, not quite sure yet, it's still coming for me. So I was working with, um, in practice today, working with an, uh, an image and noticing the tendency for the subjective whole to dissolve. Dis- dissolve how? Um, Actually, because I'm going to repeat it anyway, so you, you just finish your question, sorry. Uh, okay. Um, so, working with sort of um, emptiness practices and um, particularly with the emptiness, emptiness of self practices, mm-hmm. there is an ease in that sort of disillusion into space um, and also working with certain Tajirana practices. Um, and as you as you sort of mentioned before, that has a tendency to sort of somewhat dampen the eros sometimes, when the the subjective pole somewhat dissolves, and then there is a identification with what was previously objective. And it's now too technical. I hope this makes sense. Um, which is beautiful because there is a sort of an ease and a falling away of dukkha in that moment because duality is somewhat softened into a not duality. Um, and then uh, the question comes to increase that dynamic, to add, uh, add juice to the dynamic, or to increase the um, uh, yeah the whole thing, the creative fabrication of a new self in relation to object. Right. This is some. This is something I'm just sort of playing with right now, and I'm a little bit lost. Well, not lost in the sense that it's very interesting and fertile, but I don't have a particular direction to, to investigate. And I guess to be really specific about my question is, do you have <coughs> thoughts on the intentional creative fabrication of the subjective goal in relation to any love object um, once it is dissolved in a way? Because I don't feel like bringing back my, my, my normal So let's see if I can try and sum that up. So, Tom, Thomas? Tom, yeah, Tom, yeah is saying, um, if I understand, correct me if I'm wrong. So, uh, has found it very fruitful recently exploring um, 
kind of practice that through some kind of understanding of emptiness, particularly of the self, kind of dissolve the experience, particularly dissolve the sense of self to, to some degree. And then there's this lovely openness of kind of less fabrication, essentially, less duality, less polarity and all that. And this is really nice. And yet in that space, because there's not so much of the tunas, um, there isn't so much of the eros. Um, and uh, ha- w- how to navigate there. Yeah. yeah. So, um, first thing, that sounds wonderful, great, you know, fab. Um, I-, I, would, I would put, um, this is just for everyone now, I'd put all, everything that we're talking about this, on this retreat in, into a larger context, which relates to Ramiro's question, about, you know, the, these, um, how would you say, there's unskillful fabrication, what's called skillful or beautiful fabrication, soul-making fabrication, and then there's the, the, the path of non-fabrication. So, do you understand? So all, all that is our playground. Yeah? We, we tend to say, well, this non-skillful fabrication is not, um, you know, we don't want to be playing there too much. Okay? But actually, I'll, I'll come back to that because we can qualify that. Um, so, so you've basically got a choice as a practitioner. You know, you, you're gliding around, and you, you can, um, with, with, with time and with, with uh, development, you, you can just kind of incline where you want to go. You might have periods of time where you're really into the like dissolving thing and emptiness and fabric. It's great, you know, go for it. Um, at some point, and that might be now from your question, you might say, okay, that's all very nice. What else is there? What's possible? Um, one of the things about emptiness practices is they can kind of, if I go back to this phrase I think I used before, um, make everything liquid or, or water. You know, it's like that kind of looseness. Samadhi does it as well. Metta does it as well, you see. All, all the traditional practices of, uh, in the Dharma are actually non-movements into non-fabrication. And part of what they do is they just liquefy. So sometimes what you, you go into one of these states or whatever it is that you're talking about, then you just have to kind of back out a little bit, just a little bit. It's like you take, take the intensity out a little bit. And it might be at that point that there's a bit more looseness and, and liquidity in the being, and in that space images can arise. Yeah? Um, I, you can be deliberate about it. You know, in a, I think what I want to say is don't be afraid. You know, don't be afraid of old patterns coming back and that kind of thing. It's like, just view it as a playground and, and, and see, see what happens, you know. Even the old... See, if we go... I'm going to get to the last thing Natalie said. Um, I don't want to foist this on you like a religion or a dogma, but I, I would um, venture to, to say that as this whole thing gets underway... Um, we begin to have more of a sense of soul being something bigger than us, so to speak. And then we even get to a point where it's like, my personal dukkha, my history, my patterns, also are kind of lessons from soul. It might not be that I'm quite relating to them the right way, or seeing them the right way, but even if you take Natalie's question and apply it to my patterns this dukkha, there's something, to use the phrase from the last week, that starts to get re-enchanted, meaning I start to see and experience my patterns in a more soul-making way. And then they start to, they, they, take, on a, they take on other dimensions. And do, do, do you understand? So, 
Um, if, if old patterns come back, no problem. And, and what you want with this emptiness thing is just, it's like, so I'm now talking about emptiness practice, so just this facility to sort of, hey, it's fine if dukkha arises, if I get contracted. It, 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 the whole thing gets very fluid, in and out of dukkha, in and out of contraction, in and out of reification, no problem. I'm not trying to live in some kind of state of, you know, dissolvement all, all the time. Yeah? So you can, don't be afraid, so much afraid of that. And in terms of other self uh, images coming up, I- images of self, um, you could play with a Vajrayana deity you mentioned, you know, and just identifying with that, for instance. You could take anything that has already become imaginal for you and just linger with that in, in the meditative imaginal practice. And I'm pretty sure I must have said this last night in the talk. Um, I know there was a lot of info there, so... Sooner or later, the self-pole of that whole constellation will start to come alive imaginally. So I'm not, I'm not kind of making that happen. I'm just dwelling with whatever has become alive for me as an object. It might be the world. It might be whatever it is. And, and then at some point, I just begin to notice. I, I expand my, my awareness, so to speak, metaphorically, and, and just check out, well, how does the self, how am I sensing myself now? What's the image of self? And you, you will, at some point, notice that the self has become imaginal at that point, and it's taken a different form, or the energy body, or the image of the body, or the whole, do you understand? So, um, you don't have to force this, it's more like, you notice this stuff. It's you're kind of letting it happen and just kind of gently inclining one way or another. Is this helpful? That's really helpful. Yeah. Okay. Good. Good. Um, <coughs> someone. Is it Francis? Yeah. Um, Actually, I can't see. Is it? Joe. 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 Hi. We've not uh, met Johan. before. Yeah. Johan. Johan. Sorry. Hi. Um, <coughs> would you say that there could be um, like an alchemy of anger in the same way that? You seem to be talking about the alchemy of desire, and I would say it's going to be the alchemy of confusion of or potential uh-huh. in terms of the logos. Yes. But the imaginal figure that came to me, <coughs> me as an element of anger, but um, I feel there's something in it, <coughs> something beautiful, but I can't quite touch it. Probably. Yeah. Okay. Lovely. I'm just aware. Did you? Did you? Want to ask? I did. It's fine. I'll but make sure. Oh, okay. Sorry. Um, uh, yeah. Thank you, Johan. So Johan's asking. Um, we're talking about alchemy of desire, um, and is there an alchemy of anger and an alchemy of confusion? So if you like, or delusion, even then you've got your three sort of main Buddhist kilesas, and uh, and this is actually, if you like could be one view of the tantric path, is, is the transformation of the kilesas, that there's treasure in each. Um, so absolutely, yeah, yeah, no, no, no question about it. Um, I, the, the, you know, um, the other thing I was going to say to Natalie as well, and this applies to this, when, when there's an emotion, when, when there's something like desire or like anger, it's like there's a lot of psychic energy involved in that. And it's just the way we've got hold of it that takes it into the not-so-skillful. Um, but part of, part of playing with this kind of path that we're kind of filling out now is let's just play with the idea that there's a treasure here, that there is an alchemy, you know, mercury and alchemy can transform things. 
Um, so, so we're just playing with that idea that there's something that's um, potentially gold and potentially a treasure in there. So I would say, if, if you feel comfortable with it, you know, let that anger, let it be there, feel it, energy body, you're caring for it, and, and mm. let it, let it um, constellate an image. Does it make sense? Well, no. um, <coughs> the image that arrived uh, came to me as this, this young man. Um, he's, he's quite angry. He's not, he's not angry at me. or not angry. I'm not quite, you know, and he's got this, and it's not really expressing itself violently. Uh-huh. Uh, there's something, um, you know, it, it makes me think about like, the, the angry tantric deities in, in a way. Yeah. sense that it's unskillful. Oh, it's just feel like a contraction. Oh, okay, yeah. Um, does it actually, does an image, there's an image there? Yeah. Oh, okay, so... Um, yeah, the anger, the anger didn't strike the image, sorry, the image had that in it. Yeah. Anyway, as one of its aspects. Yeah, yeah. Um... Would it be possible to just play with the idea of trusting it? It's like, you know, sometimes in practice what you're doing is you're just setting up a playground or, or a perimeter which is safe in, in that period. And and um, kind of just seeing what happens if I trust. You know, because it, the, the, the presence or the absence of trust makes a big difference. Um What is he doing, this this young man in the image? Um, I think he's just like kind of you know, metaphorically wants to slam the door and leave. Leave. <laughs> okay. No, not leave the imaginal just leave sort of leave a lot behind. And where would he go? Well, exactly also, you know, it's it's a real figure that I you know, it's a, it's a poet. through different aspects of this image of this poet. This poet has become image for you. And it might not be going directly first thing through the anger. You know, they might be hanging out with what he's probably quite a complex character. There's some mystery to, to him, you know, and all that. And maybe going through different 
different other doorways rather than directly through the anger might, might be helpful. Um, when you're meditating with this, do you really feel like the energy body's involved? And, and yeah. You do. Yeah. And what happens? The energy body fills with anger? Or, or, well, or actually, it's... Um, <clears throat> it depends. Uh, there's... Um, sometimes the energy body just has this sort of central density which is like not quite like a contraction that can turn into a contraction, but it's ah. sort of a charge. You know? Yeah. Now, is that charge, is, it, is it that the way his body feels? Um, I don't quite know. Okay. So that might be something to play with. It's almost like getting a sense of what <coughs> his body feels like. So sometimes you can enter an image and become him. If, and, and that might actually uh, do something to, to the feeling inside. Um, right now I'm not sure what else to suggest but does that give you a few things that you might play with yeah Um, in principle I absolutely know it's possible I mean speaking first hand as well yeah Um, there's some there's and that's exactly you know the wrathful deities in Tantra you know (coughs) I, I would, I mean, it may be that those deities, if they mean something to you, are helpful here, but it sounds like that poet is is already an image for you. And, you know, to have some communication, some commerce, some really feeling into what what he is for you, um, it will start to feel and come alive. And then there's this, this trusting that. At some point, what happens is there's, um, a, I don't know how to describe it, it's like, the anger is transformed. It's not that it's dissolved. It's become something imaginal and creative and potent and powerful and, and alive. And you can feel that. It's almost like it just <clears throat> pops into something different. Um, but so it's absolutely, it's absolutely possible. Yeah. Does that give you at least a little bit to play with for now? Yeah, okay. Thank you. Um, yes, Jill? Um, I'm still quite new, well, very new to imaginal practice. And um, so I'm trying to get my own handle on things. So this would be probably quite a basic course. So, um, so there are two things, and I just wanted to test them out to see what, what, uh, what you think. So this afternoon when I was in the meditation hall, and I noticed this the other day, um, I, I looked out to the window, and there was um, like a corridor of light through the sky to the... To the and um, like today I used it because I was feeling a bit sleepy after lunch and and I was I was sensing a sort of energy coming from it Mm -hmm. Um, and then then that sort of transformed into a kind of real connection with the outside of the the building Mm -hmm. almost like a tunnel effect and um, Today, I noticed some of the things that you were describing. So, um, a sense of mystery, and um, a sense of something bigger than me. Mm-hmm. So, I, I, I was just sort of ex- expl- experimenting with that. So, that, that's one thing. And then the other idea, I was talking with uh, Catherine in the, in the group discussion this morning about... Um, a story I wrote two years ago about uh, I, I'm it's a, narrated as a, as a in the first person, and I got this 
Welsh mountain in the snow and it's quite difficult and when we get to this little shack and we go inside and there's this woman and it's and she recites this poem about her plants. So um, uh, one of the things about it, so she was originally a, a soldier and then her lover got, got killed in the battle. So then she decides she's not going to wear that sort of armour anymore. And it's, she puts on the armour. Well, it's basically the meditative practices. Ah, uh, yeah. So she, she trans transforms, she mm, acts, mm, and mm. turning point. Mm. So it struck me today that I could, I have called about the story to myself, it struck me I could revisit that. And, and, because the point is I go and visit her. Mm-hmm. And she's obviously someone I go to visit her as a sort of crone, warrior, wise person. So that I just wanted to get a sense of those, those are two things, this is, as I say, very new to me, so those two things and how that kind of fits as examples. Of yeah, beautiful, thank you. So I'm not sure I can repeat all that. You shared that story with me <coughs> some time did, ago. Yeah, thank you. Ago. Yeah. And that relates to also what <coughs> about as well, which is the, you know, my desire to be the art meditator mm-hmm. and uh, that's quite a deep thing for me. Mm. But it, I don't quite, and the interesting thing is I don't quite get there. So there's something that I feel could be gained from using magical practice yeah. to get more strength, to get more uh-huh. clarity, you know, uh-huh. these kinds of things. I feel like it, it feels like I, I could tap into that and really use it. Yeah. Um, so really you're just wanting to check out if, if yeah, that we're... Yeah, because I don't really know what I'm doing, you know, so, yeah. What's going on? Yeah. Um, um, be- be- beautiful. Yeah, thank you. So, so Jill's just sharing two images there. One was um, looking out of the window from the meditation hall and sort of perceiving a kind of corridor of light out from the window into, into the nature. And then that came up later and sort of following that and, and sensing the sense of mystery and... Um, unfathomability, etc. there. Um, and the second is um, from a story you wrote a while ago that uh, of visiting a sort of wise crone, if you like, in, in, up a mountain living in her cabin who had, whose husband had died, um, who was a soldier and had died in the war, and she um, transformed her way of life from that kind of armour of battle to the armour of meditative practice and spiritual practice. Yeah, yeah, beautiful, absolutely beautiful. Um, but both re- really valid. You know, the, the range of imaginal practices is 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 just huge. You know, um, so but both of them a- absolutely go go for it. You know, you you recognise the imaginal not so much in um, what the kind of image is, but in in what it does in 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 it. How do I recognize the imagine? It's soul-making. How do I recognize soul-making? By the emotion, by the meaningfulness, by the beauty, by the depth, by the dimensionality, by, you know, all, all these things. So, you know, here, here could be um, a king and a wizard and a fairy and uh, a dragon and, and all that and say, oh, it's imaginal. It could be completely not imaginal yeah. if it doesn't, you know, or here's, here's this room right now. Here's my hat. Could be in... Ma- Imaginal hat, 
Um, <laughs> it is, in fact, an imagination. Uh, but it, it doesn't matter what it is or how weird or, you know, it's like we tend to think, oh, that's mythic. or It's not in the thing. It's in the relationship, yeah? Um, and, and so there's this, you know, I almost feel like saying, I don't know. I don't know uh, how to do it either. Um, what this is is an exploration, you know, and it's like what happens if we bring mindfulness, sensitivity, curiosity, energy, body, awareness, uh, this, this, you know, um, sophistication and care around the questions about reality and, and all that, and we bring all this into this practice and we see what happens. Um, so if you can have that kind of spirit, I think it's certainly better than asking me, me, yeah, I mean, I'm happy to, to do that, but I don't, I don't kind of see it. I view, I view it for myself as an exploration. Like this is being weird, discovering. You are discovering. I'm discovering, and 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 not just images, but also how they work and what the kind of conceptual framework needs to be and all that. To me, that's beautiful. Um, so it's there. You're absolutely, yeah, uh, on the right track. You know, we talked about the, the ways then you can work with these things, and sometimes it's yeah, it does. It informs my life and the directions I take and what I decide to do and what I manifest in the world. Sometimes much less so, so it's not so obvious, you know. And then eventually it will spread into the world, so that the sense of the world begins to get more imaginable. That, for me, is where we're going. Some people will start there, you know. Um, but f- for a lot of people, I think the intrapsychic imaginal starts expanding into the world into the world of relationships, into the world of relationship with the self. That corridor of light could be, uh, you know, we, we talked about cosmopoesis, the way that images start to spread through the world, into the world of nature. And that could be, you know, one of the ways, a, a doorway into that. And one, okay, that's, that's really key. One small supplementary question. So sometimes these images might be transitory, and sometimes a more relational thing. Would that be true you mean by relational more long term? Yeah. Yeah, yeah, thank you. I yeah. Think it was talking about being unpicked. <laughs> right, right, yes. Um, yeah, absolutely. So this is, um, it seems to me, uh, we don't know, you know. So, um, in, in other words, sometimes images might be one offs. They're just one-offs, and uh, but they're still somehow they do something. They're part of the whole song. They're, they're significant, you know. But it never comes back, and we don't particularly feel called to draw it back. Other images might be around for years, and there's a real relationship there. Um, all I would add is that, like like, like with a human being, you know, if you think about it like a relationship with a human being, hopefully we don't just have a one-sided relationship. Like, what can this imaginal figure do for me <laughs> you know it's too it's like it's really got that kind of autonomy and that kind of two-way if we open up just play with that kind of way of entering into relationship then there's a kind of fullness and multi-dimensionality and yes yeah, some could go on for years and you know uh, absolutely yes okay i didn't repeat that question but it's probably clear from the answer i think um tea time guys let's have a little bit of quiet just Thank you for listening. To learn how you can support the teachers and Dharma Seed, please visit dharmaseed.org slash donate.